And if you remember last week, uh, we talked about what our vision as a church is and should be. Uh, I took you guys through basically the Bible and looked at what it means to be made in God's image. What it means that we were made in God's image, that we sinned and in some sense tainted or, or bent that image. But the rest of the Bible is God's process of molding us and shaping us and remaking us into the image of Christ. The whole Bible is about being like our creator. And I simplif- in some ways, I simplified that to put it into a single statement. We're becoming more like Jesus together. Our goal is that we would become more like Jesus and doing that together as God has called us to do. Uh, today, we're going to look at, or over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three core values that are going to help us to accomplish that. That are going to allow us to become more like Jesus um, together. But I want to ask, uh, or I want to just tell you guys about a story of when I uh, worked at a watch shop. It was, uh, it was in the mall. It was called Fast Fix Jewelry. We repaired jewelry and watches and things like that. Really, I was more like a nurse to the doctor. Uh, they would just bring in the watches or whatever. I might change a battery here and there or fix a, a band. Well, somebody had come to me and said, hey, my watch band's too big. Uh, can you fix it? But this was outside of work. So I didn't have the little uh, tool that we would use to remove pins from the watch. Uh, if you have a link watch, you can just put that into this, almost looks like a little gun. You line up the pins, you just pull the trigger and it pushes the pin out for you. Really easy, really simple. But when I tried to do it to this other person's watch, when I didn't have the tool, the right tool, I couldn't do it. It's a really simple thing, but without the right tool to do it, I was unable to. And I think maybe you've all been in the same situation before where you had a job to do, but you may not have had the tool to do it. Have you ever tried to uh, pick up the leaves in your yard? What tool do you need to get the leaves in your yard? Audience participation, part of the sermon. (laughs) There you go. Rake. Good job. All right. If you're going to remove a splinter from your hand or your child's hand, what would you use? Some tweezers. All right. If you're going to clean the drain um, in your house, what would you use? A plunger maybe to unclog the toilet. What'd you say? Your husband. Yes. That's the the one size fits all is a Swiss army knife, right? Uh, You might use a snake or you might use a plunger. Um, If you're going to pour oil into a car, what would you use? A funnel. Have you ever tried to pour oil into your car without a funnel? I observed Dennis do it the other day. He did it, but it was a little tricky. The point is this. You need the right tool to do the job that you're seeking to do. You need the right tool to accomplish your goal. And I want to make it clear this morning that the tool in which God uses to mold and shape his people into the image of his son is his word. The tool that God uses most to mold us and shape us into the image of his son is his word. And we need to remember this. We need to realize this because we forget what a precious gift this book is. Most of the time in our houses in America, this, along with all the other dozen Bibles we might have in our house, collects dust on our shelves far too often. We have an abundance of riches of biblical uh, texts, biblical versions that we can read, commentary on that. And it is a blessing and a gift, one that we should take advantage of because, as we've said, it's the means by which God wants to shape us and mold us into the image of his son. So with that being said, I want to pray and then we're going to go through a few verses in the Bible, actually several verses in the Bible, looking at what God's word says about itself 
And then we're going to look and see how what God has said about his word should shape our culture here at First Baptist. So let me pray. Father, we come before you thanking you for who you are and what, uh, what you've done for us. God, we thank you so much for your word. Um, your word that's a light to our path, a lamp for our feet. God, we pray that as we study your word this morning, that you would help us to put it in the right place in our lives, that we would submit to it um, as it is your word, and that we would get to know you more through it, and that by it we might become more like your son, Jesus. We love you, and we praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we think about God's word, right off the bat, one of the places I always like to start is the book of Genesis. And we see that God's word is life-giving. Right off the bat, God's word is life-giving. God said, let there be, and there was. Repeated over and over in Genesis 1. Let there be light, and there's light. Let there be sky, let there be water, land, stars, moons, planets. All those things were spoken into existence. And then God created us. In his image. And when he created us, he breathed his breath into us, giving us life. God's word is life giving. God uses it not only to mold and shape his people, but to create his people, to create his people. A few, ver- a few chapters later, after Genesis 1 and 3, when we mess things up, God calls a certain man by name. He calls Abraham. He calls him, he speaks to him and calls him up from a far land and said, hey, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to give you a people. I'm going to create a people from you. God made a promise to Abraham. And I forgot to mention, God made a promise to Adam and Eve as well. As he removed their presence from the garden, he did say that one day Eve would have some offspring and that offspring would crush the head of the serpent. We know that speaking of Jesus. So in Genesis 3, God makes a promise. And in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham and his descendants. So God's word is life-giving in that. Then as we get into the book of Exodus and God's people are enslaved in Egypt, what does God do? He raises up a guy named Moses and speaks to him from a burning bush. He spoke to Moses and called him to lead his people out of slavery. And then after those people have been brought up, led out of slavery, what does God do in the desert as he's leading them? He gives them his written word, etched on stone, given to the people that they might know who God is and how they should live. So God's word was given to them in a written form. And from there, after those Ten Commandments that in some sense act as a summary of the whole law, God added 613 more laws. Well, I guess it would be 603 more laws to that, that the the Israelites might know how they should live. And those laws revealed who God was. As a matter of fact, as kings would raise up later on, these kings were to actually make a copy of God's word for themselves, to write it out, reminding them that their kingship has limitation that they are only king uh, in representation. They are not the true king, the eternal king. As we get into the wisdom literature, like Proverbs, Psalms, and Job, Ecclesiastes, uh, the Proverbs give us advice and give us guidance and insight into how God has structured the world. Um, Those are kind of like pithy sayings that should catch in your mind and guide you as you seek to have wisdom in life. You get into the Psalms, and you realize God understands our perspective more than we understand his perspective. You hear God say things like praise the Lord Almighty, things like that in Psalms, but you also hear God inspire in his word, God, where are you? How long are you going to leave me here? Does that not tell you God understands how you feel sometimes? 
So not only does his word show us who he is, it also helps us to understand who we are. You get into the book of Job, and it just shows us that running a world full of sinners is a complex, difficult thing, and it's not as simple as giving good people good stuff and bad people bad stuff. That doesn't work that way. The world is a lot more complex than that. And then finally, when we get into Ezekiel 37, I want to show you this amazing story. This is when God took the prophet Ezekiel and led him to the Valley of Dry Bones. And I want to read this section to you. It's in Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10, if you want to mark that or even turn there. Uh, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. And this is when God takes Ezekiel to the Valley of Dry Bones. And he says this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he, he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry, i.e. they've been dead a long time. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord, you know, I don't know the answer. You know it. Then he said to me, prophesy or speak over them. And we got to know when, when prophets prophesied in the Old Testament, they're speaking the words of God. He said, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will uh, lay sinews upon you and will cause uh, flesh to come upon you and, ca- and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and, be- and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh came upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to breathe, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What an amazing scene, this vision that that God gives to Ezekiel. And I think it's a picture of what we have hope for. We saw this very picture just a few moments ago. This is the same picture when we had these three guys step into the baptism, uh, ba- ba- baptismal waters and get baptized. They were declaring this had happened to them. They had heard the gospel, the word of God preached. And when they heard that, Their spiritual dry bones got flesh on them. Those bones were reconnected and they had life again. That's a picture of what we just saw and a picture of what we have when we declare the word of God. The word of God is life giving. That's why we put it at the center of our worship every Sunday. We put the preaching of God's word at the center because that's how dead people are brought to life. That's how the spiritually lost are found. The enemies of God are made his friends through the preaching of his word. Not only is it life-giving, God's word is life-giving, it's also life-changing. As we get into the New Testament, who steps into the world? Remember what John 1 says? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the word that had dwelt eternally with God. And was God, he stepped into his own creation. 
the word became flesh, the perfect picture of who God is in Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life, died the death you deserved and was raised to life. But he said this in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He said, praying to the father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. He prays, God, use your word to sanctify my people. Use your word to sanctify them. And as we get over into Ephesians, the apostle Paul, as he's speaking to husbands and telling them how they're supposed to treat their wives, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Side note, that should be a really heavy burden on you men. As you lead your wives, you're just supposed to love them the way Christ loved the church, sacrificially laying down your wants, desires, needs to sacrifice for them. That was free. That's not even part of the sermon. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So we see again the way that Christ saves the church. Not only did he lay his life down for her, but he now he washes her with the word, cleansing her, sanctifying her. Then we see in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, It says all scripture is breathed out by God, meaning the very words of God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in what? In righteousness or in godliness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul's speaking of how the word of God prepares the pastor to to lead his church, but surely if the word of God prepares the pastor for the work of God, of ministry, it does the same to his people. The, the, the word of God is useful for teaching us, reproving us, correcting us, guiding us into righteousness. The word of God, all this is to say that the word of God is the tool God uses to shape us, to mold us. It's the sanding paper that he uses to smooth down our rough edges. And Lord knows we have some rough edges. Those rough edges show Uh, in our relationships, in our home, with our spouses and with our children. Those rough edges show themselves at work when we're with our employees, our co-workers. They show up in school when our teachers tell us what to do and we don't want to do what they want us to do. Those rough edges show up all over the place. But God's word, thankfully, is here to sand away those rough edges. It's the scalpel he uses to remove the dead flesh from our body. The flesh that may be dead and eaten away by sin. A lot of us have habits, including this preacher, that die hard. Um, Tendencies that I have left over from my sinful life. uh, In one sense, it's like a residue that's left over from that. And God continues to work on that, continues to wash that out, continues to cut out and remove those parts of our, our spiritual lives that are dead. And it's... The word of God is the mold into which God presses us that we might take the shape of Jesus. He presses us and molds us into that mold that we might take the shape of Jesus. This is what God does with his word. Because we know God's word has this effect for, I think, a couple reasons. One is because his word is an extension of who he is. Anything that God says in his word, anything that he says that he desires for us, is an extension of who he is. It's a good thing that he commands us to be loving and forgiving, to strive for purity. Those are good things. It's good for us to love what is good and hate what is evil. 
It's an extension of who he is. It shows who God is and it shows his promises to us. Just like Abraham, God told him the promise that he would have. And Abraham believed that promise. So the Bible tells us who God is and what he's going to do for us. And our response to that should be to trust it, should be to trust it. Because from the very beginning of Scripture, from our first existence on this planet, we were tempted to doubt God's word. Isn't that really the core of what happened to Eve? Satan came along in the form of a serpent and said to Eve, did God really say dot, dot, dot? And in that moment, doubt crept into her heart. And she began to question God's word. And if God's word is an extension of who he is, she's questioning God himself. So he said, did God really say this and that? Did he really say that? And Eve starts to think, well, maybe, maybe God's trying to keep something from me. Maybe it would be good for me to know the difference between good and evil and have the knowledge of good and evil. Maybe it would be good that I might be like God. Man, Satan is so crafty. He tricked Eve into paying for something she already was. She was already made in the image of God. And he said, hey, if you eat this, you'll be like God. Really, Eve was wanting to replace God with herself. And her husband did the same exact thing. They wanted to be their own God, their own king. They wanted their word to stand and not his so church, we have to, as we've seen all of what God does with his word, we have to come to a place where we're confronted. What, what is our call going to be? What is our attitude toward his word going to be? We're going to fight against that temptation from our great-great-grandma and great-great-grandpa uh, who, who gave us this tendency to question who God is and what he said. Do we believe in this room and in this church that God's word is enough? Do you believe that his word is enough? So we think of over the last 2,000 years, um, there's a lot of church history uh, that's, that is in those 2,000 years. Uh, for a long time, there was uh, maybe we might call the, the Catholic Church. Catholic just means universal. It's this idea of like the one church, right? There were some splinters from that. But for the idea, there was this church that um, existed and was the church. But there were a group of guys called the Reformers. You may have heard of Martin Luther, um, John Calvin, uh, Zwingli, all these guys, they came along and they started to say, hey, we've gotten away from something. Something's, something's amiss in the church. Uh, and they brought about a reform, a reformation of saying, hey, the church is not what produces the word and tells it what's right and wrong. It's actually the word that produces the church. They reformed, they flipped the way it was designed. And Martin Luther, what he said uh, when looking back on the Reformation, he said, all I did was preach the word and go on with my life. That's all he did. That was his comment on the Reformation. This world-changing event, the Reformation, he said, all I did was preach God's word. And that was it. Do we have that same attitude as Martin Luther this morning? Is the word of God enough to grow and form and shape this church? We can be tempted to, to doubt that God's word is enough to grow this church. And we might think, we need smoke, we need lights, we need this, we need that. We can try to add all this stuff to make God's word more palatable to people. When we got to trust, God's word is enough. And that's what he's given us to proclaim. His word is enough. Is a preacher committed to preaching God's word and a congregation committed to hearing his word and both of them committed to living his word, is that enough for God to be glorified? 
I think it is. And I want to challenge you, church, to believe that, to believe that God's word is enough, that God's word, the preaching of his word and the ministry of his word, both on Sunday mornings and in your lives, is enough to grow his church. And we need not anything else. Is it enough? To think that we need anything else is to doubt what God has given us. It's to doubt the tool he's given us for the job. I think we need to sympathize with the Apostle Peter. Remember what he said at the end of John 6 when all these people had come uh, to, to Jesus to get fed uh, with that, the bread that he'd done the miracle with. And then toward the end of that chapter, they all walked away. All those people walked away because they didn't come for the bread of life. They just came for a full stomach. Jesus said to his disciples, it says this, after, after this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and, you, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Church, I ask, if, if the word of God's not enough, where else will we go? Where else can we go for the words of eternal life? All the philosophies all the religions, all the ideologies in this world will always fall short of bringing life to us because his word is life-giving. There's nothing else in all of creation like the word of God. And if we try to serve something else to God or something else to people other than the word of God, we're really selling them short. There's nothing else that we have to give. There's nothing else that we have to give and we shouldn't try to give anything else because it's always going to fall short. So with that being said of what God's word is and how it shapes us, what should our church look like in light of that? Well, I want to focus really on this time, this time that we gather between 1030 and 1130 ish on Sunday mornings, right? Uh, when we gather together this morning, what is it that we're doing? Well, I hope that every single thing that we do Every facet of this meeting is shaped by God's word. Number one, that we would preach the word, preach the word. Whether it's me or some other person preaching God's word, may it be God's word that's preached. Uh, there are kind of two philosophies in uh, preaching. Um, this is a little inside baseball on, on preaching, all right? There's topical preaching and expository preaching. What I'm doing right now is topical preaching. I've selected a topic, God's word. And hopefully, for the most, hopefully, I've, I've pointed you to God's word and showed you what he has said about it. But this is a topic that I've chosen and then looked at what scripture has said about it. Topical sermons are good and they have their place. They can be helpful, but they are not a good diet for the church. Expository preaching, on the other hand, says, let's take a passage of scripture. Let's look at it. And whatever the point of scripture is, that's the point of the sermon. And all the pastor is doing, all the preacher is doing is like taking you through a museum and showing you the different art. Like, hey, here's the Mona Lisa. Notice what Leonardo da Vinci, I don't know. Notice what this Leonardo did right here with these brush strokes. Look how he's, is she smiling or is she not? Like, he's just pointing you to the painting and saying, look at it, observe it. Notice these things about it. That's all the pastor does in an expository sermon. He comes along and says, here's the word of God. Look at it. Look at what it's saying. That's expository preaching. You take up a passage of God's word and you give it to the people. And church, I want to commit, there may be times when I'll choose to do a topical series like what I'm doing right now. I get the irony of what I'm saying. 
But for the most part, I commit to preaching to you expository sermons where I take the Bible, I look at a passage of it, and I just try to tell you what it's told me. I'll try my best to not add my opinion, to not add my, what I, my two cents, because that's about all it's worth is two cents. Uh, if I try to give you my opinion, it's going to be really boring, and there's a lot better motivational speakers out there that can do a lot better job at giving you their opinion than I ever could. But I commit to saying, hey, when we gather in the morning, we're going to hear God's word preached. Second, we're going to hear God's word read. That's why we put so much scripture uh, into our service. We have a call to worship at the beginning. We have a scripture reading in the middle. We do a benediction at the end after we've heard the word preached. Because Paul says to Timothy, don't forsake the reading of God's word. There's something supernatural about the reading of God's word. It's not like some kind of incantation that as I read it, some spell is happening. It's not that. It's, again, it's the means by which God uses to shape his people. And simply having the word of God fall on your ears will do something. So we're going to hear the word of God preached every Sunday. We're going to hear the word of God read every Sunday. We're going to sing the word of God. Uh, I, I try to be, I probably drive uh, Dennis and Lori crazy with the, the particularity that I like to pick songs. For the most part, I'm trying to pick songs that I think are rich in Scripture and have some kind of point or tie in to the sermon in some way. That's why we sang Standing on the Promises of God this morning, that we might remind us that the Word of God is the thing on which we stand. We're going to sing songs that, are, that contain Scripture and that point us to those Scriptures. We're going to see, so we're going to preach the word, read the word, sing the word, and see the word. What I mean by that is within our worship services, there are going to be times that we specifically set out uh, time to do the two ordinances, which is baptism, like we did today, and the Lord's Supper that we do quarterly. Probably should do it more uh, because we're going to see God's word. That's what those two things are. It's a picture of people dying to their sin and raising to walk in new life and feasting on the flesh of Jesus, living the life that he's given us. We're going to see that word played out in those two actions. And then finally, we're going to pray God's word. As we, uh, I try to, um, every morning as I, as I do the call to worship, I try to take those very words of scripture and use those in the prayer. If I read a, a something about um, like this morning, people uh, getting baptized. I'm going to use the language of that, that we have been brought from death to life. I'm going to let those words fill my, uh, my prayer. The words of God fill my prayer to him. Preach the word, read the word, sing the word, see the word, and pray the word. Hopefully you see that hopefully every aspect of our service is based on God's word. Because there's nothing else that we should base our services on. There's nothing else that should saturate uh, the things we talk about, the things we sing. All of that should be based on God's word. And it really boils down to this, putting yourself in the stream of God's word. How many of you have been to uh, Annabelle's Fun Farm? Yep, it's a nice place. If you haven't been, there's a really nice quality, like, Corn Maze, Animal Farm, uh, just right over there near Welch. Uh, it's an amazing place, Annabelle's Fun Farm. Um, we took uh, our, our kids and our nieces and nephews there uh, maybe last year or the year before. I don't remember. But at Annabelle's Fun Farm, every hour on the hour, they climb on top of the big red barn and they load a cannon with candy. And they do a big countdown. Uh, 
five, four, three, two, one, and then they blast this candy out of this candy cannon, and it flies all over the field. But you know what you got to do when you're Annabelle's, when they start to say, five minutes to the candy cannon? You don't stay where you are. You actually go and you put yourself into the stream of where that candy's going to fall, where that candy's going to get shot out of that cannon and fall upon you. That's where you want to be. Because if you're too close, that candy shoots over your head. If you're too far away, it's going to fall in front of you, right? You want to position yourself right at the perfect spot to where that candy's just going to flood you. And that's what we want to do as God's people is to position ourselves in the stream of God's word. How can we have God's word wash over us as much as possible, as often as possible? Whether that's in our worship services like we're doing right now, whether that's in our Sunday school classes that meet from nine at 930, whether that's a small group where we'll discuss the sermon tonight um, and, and talk about God's word, uh, whatever it is, whether you do that personally in your life, day in and day out, reading God's word, how often can you put yourself in the stream of God's word? Because church, this is the means, God's word is the means by which He will shape you and mold you into the image of his son. And by God's grace here at this church, I ask you to be committed. I ask myself to be committed to the preaching of God's word, to the receiving of God's word, and to the living out of that word. So every Sunday when you come, don't just think, hey, we're just gathering to hang out again. No, we're coming to hear the word of God preached. Not because I'm special. I'm just pointing you to what's special that it might change you and shape you more into the image of his son. May that be our commitment, church, that we be committed to God's word, that it might shape us. Let me pray for us. And then after this, we're going to listen to a video that just speaks of, uh, we're going to watch the video and listen to the words uh, that speaks of the preaching of God's word and how important it is to us. So let's pray and we'll listen to that. Father, we come before you humbly, thanking you for your word and what it says to us. God, we ask that as we continue to walk as a church, to walk hand in hand, uh, becoming more like Jesus together, that we would make the word a centerpiece in our lives. That everything we do would be based on your word, that we wouldn't try to hand out anything other than God's word, that we would make that the, the centerpiece of our lives. Now we pray that we would have trusting hearts that would look to the word and believe that it's from you and it's the right thing for us. And we pray that you'd remove any doubt from our hearts. God, if there are doubts in our hearts, God, we pray that we would bring those to you because you're a God that can handle doubts. You're a God that can change those doubts into deep faith. God, we pray that you would do that. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for everything you've done for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.